Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's RealCom Live. Good to be with you today. I'm coming in remotely from Tampa, Florida, where we are putting on the final touches of some of our issues and uh, for the conference in June, and it's exciting. Uh, I'm in sitting literally right now in the middle of what we're calling a digital district, some really exciting things going on in this town, and we're going to be excited to show you in June. So um, this uh, conversation we're going to have today, I know I've said this probably a hundred times, this is my favorite, but honestly, uh, the topic today is top three. And uh, the topic is low voltage as it relates to smart buildings. And my journey with this goes all the way back to 2004. So we're now talking 20 years, took a delegation of folks over to Asia. And on our stop in Tokyo, we were at Matsushita's corporate headquarters and Panasonic had a showroom in the uh, first floor. And so we we're just looking at all these crazy new gadgets, home automation, smart houses. And this uh, Japanese executive um, took a table lamp or a desk lamp and basically took an RJ45, a computer cable and plugged it into the lamp. And it went on, it powered it, but it not only did it power it, but it gave it connectivity to the point where you could download uh, drivers, you could turn it on and off, you could see how much energy it was using, who the manufacturer was. It was basically uh, an IP device, just like a printer would have been on a business network. And uh, I was bit, I mean, I said, this is the future. There was a friend of mine from um, Cisco was with us. In 2004, we started talking about IPv6. We said, we're gonna need more IP addresses just because of all these billions of devices worldwide that are gonna to wanna to connect to networks. And here we are 20 years later, we made a little bit of progress, but uh, it's been a little slow. But uh, I think what you're gonna to hear today uh, from our guests is that we may be very close to a tipping point. So before I bring them on and we talk about some very cool specific projects, I'm going to show you a brief video that's going to give you an idea of the project we're going to discuss, and then uh, we'll hit the ground running. We'll be right back. All right. So that gives you an idea. Let's bring on our two guests, Jim Baldwin and Steve Corcoran, literally two of the smartest guys in the world on this topic. Guys, how are you? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. I, there's probably a couple dozen people on the planet Earth that are at the cutting edge of this, and I would consider the two of you to be part of that group. I mean, I literally lift up rocks all over the world, have been for 25 years on this on this topic. And um, we actually have got some really good folks right here in the United States pushing this, of which the two of you are you know, duly engaged. So thank you uh, for all your hard work. So <laughs> before we start talking about the project, let's talk about you a little bit. Um, starting with Jim, how did you get involved with low voltage? What, what inspired you to tackle this big problem as it relates to buildings? So uh, I'll make it quick, but I actually this actually started for me back when I worked at Apple in the late 80s and early 90s. I built a technology there called Firewire, which was this way of combining data and power on the same cable to power computer peripherals. And we just thought it was a sensible thing to do. And, you know, it, it you know, it, fast forward to today, like, FireWire and USB kind of became one thing, if you will. And it, like we don't think of the complexity we had to go through in the old days to hook, hook devices up to up to computers. We just plug it in. Like you haven't when you plug a webcam in your computer, it just works. You don't think about what port you plug it into. So I, I, I we we looked at the building industry 
back in 2018 and did some projects, uh, some low voltage projects for a customer. And we actually used PoE for it at the time, but we found it was just so cumbersome to deal with the Cat5 and all the extra switches and, and, and that infrastructure. So we said, hey, we're engineers. We can do we can do better. So what would we do if we had a blank sheet of paper? So that's what drove us to build what we built today with Thematic. So you've got a, a background of, of tackling some big problems with some big companies. You bet. Yeah. Earlier, you had said you also helped develop Uverse for Microsoft, which was ultimately sold to AT and T. Yep, yep. So you've got some credentials behind you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've 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 got some skills in building complex distributed systems that have to hang together and have you know four or five nines uh, in in their reliability uh, rating. Yep. So yeah, we're, it's definitely been something something I'm I enjoy doing. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh, we've been, you know, friends, I would call us at this point on you know, this conversation commiserate sometimes on how we wish things would move a little faster. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Yeah, sure. Um, a little bit of a different path. Uh, 35 years in the uh, low voltage uh, solution industry. So working with uh, service providers, the telcos uh, in the Americas uh, on large scale deployments, of course, all in a DC environment. It always has been. Um, it was at 1.60 volts uh, when we were doing telex machines and things like that. And that's, but 48 volts was always the standard. That's the environment I always lived in. Um, so whether it was cellular across the country or transport fiber networks, uh, working with Corning, that's the environment I lived in. And so when I moved to the commercial space, it was really large scale projects, stadiums, hospitals, uh, you know, hosp you know, things like that, where where we were putting in big DAS systems, we were putting in big, you know, DC driven electronics. So the commercial space to me was a shocker um, as to how it all went together. So, so as we moved into the commercial space, then how do we take all the lessons learned I have from the past and where we've been and try to incorporate that? I mean, we wouldn't think about putting anything but fiber in, in, in a DC environment into a, a large scale uh, venue. So why don't we do it in smaller scale venues and, and, and see if it pencils? And it does. So Jim spends his day building systems. Uh, what do you, what your main business is consulting, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So really working with developers and architectural firms and folks like that, that, that want to look at, or, or I try to convince them anyway, that it, a fourth utility approach where you, you look at the design of the building, how can you design it better uh, to incorporate and build an architecture that supports uh, various systems that are, you know, various for controls or convenience that you can put in that are low voltage by nature already. So folks like uh, Discovering Jim and Domatic was uh, uh, was a, a huge happy dance for me because it, he solved so many problems where I was looking for products that didn't exist yet. Um, yes, we have low voltage lighting, but it doesn't, it's never controlled over a low voltage network. So to me, it's like, it's putting a really great device on the end of a dinosaur. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, and, and for us, it's centralizing, it's centralizing uh, connectivity and distribution and DC distribution into a single point and eliminating that the cumbersome, expensive AC infrastructure in the building. So Jim, when you, um, you know, two, three years from now, you know, as this thing picks up some steam, um, will people have to make decisions between your system and say a PoE architected system? I mean, is it, is it going to be that distinctive that one will have benefits over the other? Uh, I would say no, because I mean, we are an IP based delivery system, just like PoE is. 
we have PoE connectivity devices that allow us to incorporate PoE uh, devices into our system if need be. Yeah. Um, I, I see nothing wrong with PoE for uh, uh, certain applications. I, we, we just didn't feel like it penciled for a large uh, deployment of lighting and controls throughout the building. It just simply because of the switches and the routers and all that gear that's got to go into it. <clears throat> all the home runs and Cat Five termination. Try to tell an electrical uh, uh, electrical contractor to terminate a Cat Five cable and see what they say. It's well, and I, I've seen some of the early POE building deployments, and you know those closets are full of lots of cables. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the the builder on the project, that first project we did, they they just threw up their hands and went and bought a bunch of package cables. So wow. <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. <laughs> so Steve, I met you, uh, or, or we got to know each other better on 303 Battery, which was the apartment building, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember you know, a year or so ago, you talking about this next project that you were working on. It was you know, coming out of the ground, you know, concrete and steel. Uh, and I believe that was Burbridge Place, correct? That is correct. Yep. So that's the video that we saw earlier. Why don't you start and then we're gonna let Jim chime in on, on what that project is all about and all the different things you're doing with low voltage in that project. Yeah, it was a, it's a 124 unit supportive housing project for the city of Seattle. Um, it's something that uh, everybody was really excited to get behind. Um, and you think, well, do you really need high tech solutions and lots of bandwidth for supportive housing? And, and it was an interesting, it was an interesting, um, process in the design phase, because whether it was a, a, a for market rate rental apartment or supportive housing, the network didn't change at all. It was it was plug and play. So we used I used the same componentry, the same designs. I adapted it for the other building. But the the end use case changed dramatically. So so this is where dramatic really shines in the sense that it wasn't about giving 10 gigs of Wi-Fi network connectivity to folks uh, and, and things like that, but it was really about how does the building operator gain more insights into how their tenants are are being are either managed in the building or how are they taken care of from a temperature perspective. Um, it, this is a, a, a fragile um, community, and uh, being having uh, eyes on to water consumption, energy consumption, controllability of the lights and systems in the building was paramount for them. So it was really a surprise as to how far um, the tech enabled them to see what was going on in their building without without having cameras on everybody all the time, although there are a lot of cameras, um, the ability to just through the data collections understand and know what's going on in that building was a revelation for them. So Jim, when Steve came to you with this project, um, I'm assuming you were pretty excited about the opportunity. What types of applications are you literally doing with this technology? I know we talked about, we always talk about lighting, right? We start with lighting, but what other things are you connecting and what applications are being developed around those connections? So uh, in general, we can power anything that's under 100 watts is, is the, the short answer. So anything that's a 100 watts or less is a candidate for being powered by our system. And we provide not only, obviously, we don't just give power, but we give an IP address to every device. So that's kind of the core baseline. Um, where we don't power things, we also provide connectivity. So we integrate with HVAC systems uh, where we might tie into the existing BACnet or Modbus interfaces on the devices, but provide over the common network framework, um, the connectivity necessary so that you can now write software that can interact with the HVAC, but also respond to events from the door access controls, 
uh, you know, control the window blinds, occupancy sensors can drive your algorithm, even, you know, just watching weather patterns on the internet can tell you mm -hmm. something how you should run your HVAC system. So we're trying to build a platform that breaks down the silos between different subsystems so that a single, uh, an application can be written to talk to all those subsystems without having to have special knowledge of what they are. So this is more than just a low voltage power system. This is a smart building architecture, it sounds. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, and, and does it take a client uh, a while to understand that or do they get that pretty much right away? There's only one thing that anybody uh, new to our system has to understand is that it's class two. And that's because we're taking, in order to take right. advantage of it, we, you know, our, our hub has 10 outputs on it and each one of those can be up to hundred Watts. So what do the electrical unions do when you come walking in the door? Well, they don't seem to have too much of a problem with it. They, in, in a way we are not asking them to do something they're not accustomed to. And we're allowing them to have a, a greater scope, if you will. So it, imagine not having to have a separate bin to do uh, lighting, door access, window blinds, uh, the high voltage power. All those all those subsystems could be you know, could could be wired up by one team, which you know. The, the reality is, though, a lot of MEP firms are working off the same playbook going back 20, 30 years. Uh, when they see this new technology, is there excitement? Is there apprehension? I mean, what's the general sense when when they you come in talking about this low voltage based smart building, so anytime you see a new idea like this, you 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 work with the people who are kind of on the left side of that Jeffrey Moore curve, the innovators, right. adopters. So there are plenty of them out there. They're they're willing to try try something new like this. So we we've been seeing a, a pretty positive response from the people we talk to because of the the, cap the 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 opportunity to do so much more with the same amount of work. Exactly. And I find I find I'm kind of the I find myself as the go-between, right? If we've penciled the design and it does go through the GC process to an electrical firm, I'm the Q and A guy that follows it through from the management of that project. So that when we come to do a, a commissioning or the integration portion with folks like Jim Baldwin, then it's all ready to go. So so I do find there's a little bit of handholding, but also there's the the uptake is. It's another skill set for the guys that are that are working in the field. It's something Absolutely. new. They're not doing the same thing over and over and over again. So, who was the developer of Burbridge? Well, the it was the ask came from the city of Seattle. Um, okay. They do collect a lot of money, and uh, and they were they look to developers or to design folks for solutions. So, this was a a city of Seattle uh, based project. Um, and then uh, managed uh, through a, a GC that, that did the construction. It's uh, uh, the upper residential floors are offsite panelization from a company called Sustainable Living Innovations. Uh, and then uh, a contractor GC actually built the whole thing on site. And, and why did they, I mean, you know, public sector you know, organizations aren't necessarily, necessarily known to be the most innovative. What, why did they decide to take this, I don't want to say risk, but it was a little bit. Why did they decide to take this jump and do something that really has not been done a lot in the general commercial corporate real estate industry? Yeah, a lot of it was the the insights that they would gain. So uh, one, it was really easy to, to lay out a, a high level cost modeling and prove it from a cost perspective that you're going to eliminate this much labor, this much this much construction waste, uh, all your raceway. I mean, an AC breaker in a, in a residential unit now is GFCI and arc fault, right? These are $100 breakers. You can eliminate a lot of this this, this infrastructure. So 
the cost modeling made sense. And especially if you're laying layering technologies. So you've got a single platform that can operate your Wi-Fi and your access control and your, your lighting controls. Uh, but it, and then you're layering in sensors and metering uh, to this platform. So it gave them, the client was really uh, receptive to the fact that they could learn more about their residents without being intrusive. So they can understand their energy consumption needs, their the, the ability that if they're playing with the thermostat a lot, trying to make it warmer, they kind of know, you know, something's going on. Um, you know, leak detection, they're, 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 the leak detection they had before was if the ceiling tiles on level one changed color, you know? So, <laughs> so, um, so this is a huge leap forward. So the, so, so the kind of technology we had and, and then surprises along the way, you know, I did the design four years ago um, and then someone goes, Oh, what about connectivity for mechanical? Right. Well, that's, that was a, a, a five foot blue cable plugged into a, an optical network terminal and a VLAN that we produced and they've got connectivity. So you know, we, we, we laugh about the ceiling tile, but do you know what a water leak on a 50th floor of a building does? I mean, you know, water travels downhill, right? And if yeah. that's not detected for hours or days, it's devastating, right? Yeah. And, and to your point, it does not take an awful lot of technology to instrument that to the point where when that water starts hitting that floor, you know it, right? Yeah, I think the closest thing that came to a group hug with this customer was when we talked about being able to give them an alert when the water's been running too long in one of the units. They were just like, that is gold to us. I mean, to, right. an affordable housing project cares a lot about operability. So is this project getting the attention of, you know, state government, federal government? I mean, are, are you starting to get people knocking on the door wanting to see it? Uh, starting to, I mean, we, we're now talking about future projects with this organization and yeah, obviously, and you know, that the, a lot of the, a lot of the building going on now is much more on the affordable side. So I, I see that being a big, big component of our future. Well, all right. We're going to take a brief break and we come back. I know you got a couple slides, show us some photos of the project and we're going to go through those and then, uh, continue this great conversation. So we'll be right back. All right, let's bring these guys back and continue this conversation. All right, so let's take, um, Jim, you had a couple of slides that you sent. Uh, Ian, if you could bring those up. And Jim, just kind of walk us through uh, these slides. And um... Sure, so uh, just to give you uh, 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 some more detail on, on the Burbridge Place project, um, as Steve mentioned, it's a permanent supportive housing project. It's really it's built by the city of Seattle to combat homelessness. And it's for people, it's basically for a permanent place to live for people who are formerly homeless. Um, it's 124 dwelling units um, and plus common areas. We power every photon in that building is powered by our system, plus all the sensors. Um, it's purely DC powered infrastructure for everything in the system. There's no ACDC conversion in any anything we do. Uh, we are powering and connecting 1,503 fixtures in the building. That's lights, sensors, controls, switches, uh, you name it. And they're all monitored you know, when anything goes wrong with them because it's a fully connected system. Uh, we do uh, integrated emergency egress lighting. So the when the power goes out, we automatically flip over into uh, emergency mode to, to light the egress pathways. We have, um, the, the system is entirely automatically provisioned. When when we set up the system, uh, it, for the most part, we're able to identify 
the, the fixtures in the building automatically by their fixture type and location in the building. So we weren't, there's very little commissioning that has to be done. You simply uh, disambiguate a few things. So we've got a little phone app that we built that you go through a unit and it, it asks you to tap a couple of wall switches to, to clarify which is which and you're done. Literally. Now in, in this project we're looking at on the screen, the, the scope includes lighting, ventilation, door access, HVAC. I mean, this is the whole smart building gamut. This is this is not just lighting. Uh, you 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 jump this slide jumped ahead to a, another project we're working on here, which is uh, which is a prefab uh, build uh, apartment building being built by Cloud Apartments along with uh, Plant Prefab. But yeah, the, the the scope of what we can do is is pretty broad. There's very little that we 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 can't do. The network is uh, it it's a hundred megabit per second raw network, which is plenty for audio and some amount of video. I, I, uh, we, we do, um, yeah, we're, we're doing speakers in the system in that project. We are, uh, when tenants move into that building, they'll be able to, uh, just immediately play music on the speakers built into the, built into the unit. It's a pretty, it, it, there's a lot of stuff you can do ranging from the very, very basic. Can you, can you monitor the building? Do you know what's going on? All the way up to, can you provide a much better experience to the, the occupants? So let's talk about benefits, okay? The first and foremost, right on top of everybody's mind is energy consumption. Give me, Steve, just a, a, a rough estimate of how much we're gonna save going to a low voltage environment on the energy consumption. Um, you could easily say, just, just through losses, especially if you start thinking solar as well, which, um, seems like a really great idea and then quite often is implemented in a, in a sort of a poor fashion with a lot of conversion uh, between AC to DC that happens in buildings. Um, but 30% is not a is, a is a pretty solid number I think everyone can get behind. Um, AC drivers are inefficient in their ability to drive a DC load from AC. Um, and, and it kind of trickles down, you know, you're not going to, you don't have a lot of energy consumption in your fixtures today. You know, we don't have hundred watt light bulbs anymore. Um, but you still have a, a very large piece of infrastructure that drives those low wattage fixtures. So, so by code, you still have electrical panels that service, you know, uh, a, a lot of energy and the, the infrastructure to support it still could support a hundred watt light bulb. And yet we're drawing 10 Watts. So, so we bypass all of that infrastructure. We start to delete that out of the. Uh, out so, of the so with these, okay. So that's we won't have time to get to all the benefits. We'll save that for June uh, when when you guys show up and talk about this at the conference. But energy, and then obviously the data element, knowing you know uh, who's you know who's doing what, and, and being able to tighten up your equipment. We talked earlier about um, you know the conversions, not having to do the conversions from AC to DC, DC to AC. That, 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 I mean, I think we're probably getting close to 50%, you know, by the time we look at all the nuances of, of how we use this energy. But um, I mean, so here's the next question. With all of these benefits so obvious, you don't need to be a PhD to understand this. Why has the industry not spent more time leaning into this? Everybody seems still focused on producing more green energy and less about wasting the energy that we need. Steve, you want to take a crack at that? Um, yeah, I think I think the I mean the construction industry is is old and it hasn't changed a lot. You know, there's there's better ways to deliver concrete than there used to be, but we're still using the same concrete in 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 a lot of cases. Um, it hasn't changed a lot. Electrical hasn't changed at all. Um, so it's a wash, rinse, repeat cycle. 
for a lot of this. So it really starts coming down to the architectural firms and the developers. Um, and, and you can, you, you know, green energy is great. You can only put so many solar panels on the sides of a building. So you're limited on space, exterior space to, to, to produce your own energy. So the other one is you've got to, you've got to really work on reducing your, your loads uh, as much right. as possible. And, yeah, to and, me, and what I'm excited about too is, is wasteless. Yeah. So if you've got store, I mean, storage of energy is a great idea, a great concept, put the batteries in the basement, store that energy. So you can, you can have your tenants utilize it. And, and California is a great example where your energy fluctuates by cost throughout the course of a day. So right. when, when, when's it, when's it wise to use stored energy versus, uh, off the grid energy? Um, so a lot of that, and then, and then my, the, the next big one for me is high voltage DC. So you can go to a completely DC building and you can run high voltage appliances. You're still to your fridges and the real big energy consumers in the building. They were all so this, the, the, the Tesla Edison battle is not done. No, no, I, <laughs> you know, if you really draw it out on paper, it's not a battle, right? It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a pretty good economical decision. Yeah. Yeah. So Jim, um, Final thoughts, we got to wrap, but what if you had 30 seconds talking to a developer who's considering a new project, you know, pretty used to doing things the old way, what, what would you tell them at least to consider what you offer? Uh, well, for, for, from our point of view, the, you know, we are bringing savings in the, uh, in the, at the installation, in, in the time of installation. So there, there's, there's definitely money to be saved in um, streamlining installation and uh, lower cost of materials and things like that. But you really want to bring value to the customers. You're trying to make a better product that's more that will help your customers save on OPEX. And which is, you know, a lot of the people we work with are built more built to rent because they they totally value the OPEX. But I think even if you're just building to sell, you should want to be selling a building that's smart because then you'll exactly. be able to that it's going to be lower OPEX and which increases the value of the building. Yeah, increases the net operating income. Exactly. Steve, final words. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with Jim. And also, you know, on the on the tech side, you know, the delivery of content and things like that, it's always been left up to the incumbents to do that. They own their network in your building. We have a great opportunity of having the building owner own their own network. So right. it adds to the valuation of the building as well. Like Jim said, you know, the, the, the property value goes up because they've got a they've got a network that not only serves the tenants, but it serves the operations of the building as well. So you get that that low voltage convergence of a system that's really built and designed for the building, for the operator and for its tenants. Yep. Guys, I uh, can't tell you how much I appreciate what you're doing. This has been a long life uh, interest of mine. Uh, like I said, at least going back 20 years, possibly even more. And to see two smart guys like you devoting your lives to making this happen, it's pretty exciting. So a lot that we probably will have you on one more time uh, before the conference, just to kind of tighten things up a little bit. But I know we had a great program planned at the conference. We're hoping to get at least four to six low voltage projects in the showcase, right? Where People can go kind of walk and talk, you know, to all the different developers. So we're going to hope uh, you guys will bring at least uh, a couple to that conversation. And uh, it should be uh, a good journey uh, to June. And then uh, it's going to be a great conference. And uh, again, we're going to we're going to keep diving into this very, very important topic. So Looking forward to it. Ha have a great day and uh, stay out of trouble. You too. Thank you, you Jim. All right, with that, um, one of my favorite parts of uh, Realcom Live, the news, I got, we got Howard over in Sydney, so he's on an airplane or if he's there already. So we got his wonderful uh, backup, Lisa, 
who who does a phenomenal job with the news. So Lisa, <laughs> I ran over. I am sorry. That's uh, all right. I will give you the stage and be back when you're done. All right. Sounds good. We've got a number of great articles in our newsletter this week, so let's get right into it. Our lead article was written by Don Goldstein, Jeff Ewing, and Dean Hook over at 5Q and covers in detail the new cybersecurity rules recently introduced by the Securities and Exchange Commission. These new cyber rules affect public companies and emphasize governance, transparency, and risk management. According to the ruling, companies must disclose material cybersecurity incidents within four business days, providing specifics about the incident's nature, scope, and the impact. The rules also require companies to outline their cybersecurity risk management processes, their strategies, and their governance practices. The implications for businesses include a focus on robust risk management, building transparency and trust with stakeholders, ensuring regulatory compliance to avoid SEC penalties, and also strengthening board oversight for informed decision making. We should all understand by now that cybersecurity is one of the most, if not the most, important issue facing the commercial and corporate real estate industry. So this article is an absolute must read for everybody. The next article I want to mention comes to us from one of our technology partners, FreeSpace, about how insights are driving commercial real estate investment. The argument is made in the article that in this time of change, it's absolutely crucial to use facts and data as a guide instead of ideas and opinions to drive commercial real estate investment decisions, particularly in the context of hybrid working environment. The article offers a number of considerations when deploying technology like a return on investment, privacy, accuracy, real-time event capture, and global reach, as well as lessons learned not just from the wins, but also past mistakes. There's also a link to a comprehensive resource called the Right Size, Right Design Guide, which features practical examples and project case studies that can be used to inform a CRE strategy. So make sure you check that out. It's a very good read. The last article I'll highlight from this week's newsletter is about the nonprofit Stacks and Jewels based in New York City. This is an organization we at RealCom uh, wholeheartedly support. We had them in our general session stage last year. We supported them through our charity golf event, and we just love the work that they're doing. In case you're not familiar with Stacks and Jewels, they run a unique job training program which helps students and adults, mostly from economically challenged backgrounds, to transition to high earning careers in the building management industry. Their mission is to bridge the tech opportunity gap with a specialized curriculum in computer programming for building automation controls, which is directly addressing the high demand for young, skilled professionals in our industry. Stacks and Jewels has a high success rate with nearly 88% of students completing the workshops and 83% of graduates employed, mainly in the clean energy sector. This article takes us through the program, how it's different from other workforce training programs that are out there. It features interviews with some of the graduates and describes how, tracks, how Stacks and Jewels is a positive force in the lives of many of these young people, some of whom come back to teach and support the students coming up behind them. It's a great article about an amazing organization, so definitely check it out as soon as you get a chance. And then really quickly, a couple of other articles in our newsletter this week. Mark Peacock writes a recap of the AHR Expo, which happened a few weeks ago in Chicago. I happened to be there as well, and it was a great event. Cisco debuts security software meant to hop, uh, stop hackers who steal corporate logins. And then finally, we have an article on the rise of InnoCams 
it's a new term, InnoCams, the new generation of intelligent surveillance technology. So the weekly briefing, of course, as you know, goes out every Thursday. And so this week's issue should be sitting in your inbox. Uh, but if not, just go on up there to our website, realcom.com, and click on the news link, which is at the top of the page. And Great I'll job. Send it Great back to job. You. Well, and, and you know, I, I won't comment on all the um, articles, but then the first one about cyber, Mm -hmm. Just keeps getting bigger. The drum beats keep getting louder. The, there was yes. a, uh, a hearing last week, um, and they had four senior government officials. Uh, Director Ray of the FBI gave just a a frightening assessment of of what is potentially coming as nation states get more involved in the cyber security or the cyber espionage business. Right. And, um, you know, it's one thing if a disgruntled employee is trying to hack you. It's another if a major country with major budgets and a lot of smart people. And we're cyber is going to continue to be elevated at the conference this year. Uh, we got the Real Estate Cyber Consortium helping us with the content for our cyber forum. And uh, it's, um, yeah, unfortunately, it's a lot of defense, but it's something we can't ignore. Well, I, wa I watched uh, the, 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 the first part of that, that hearing. It was about two hours long, so it was, it was pretty long. But just the first 20 minutes should scare the heck out of anybody that watched it. I mean, that's all you have to watch to really know that, uh, you know, if we don't do something, we're, we're in some severe trouble. Well, uh, and I mean, and they, and they were talking about society. Well, I think we lost Jim, so we'll just wrap up this episode of Realcom Live. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get him back. Um, but let's go to our final commercial from one of our sponsors. All right. Maybe, maybe somebody didn't like what I said up there. In <laughs> I know. You have to wonder. <laughs> yeah. Ten years ago, you'd have been called a tin hat. Now it's like, okay, maybe. maybe That's right. Yeah. Well, the, the time, that is not the first time that's happened to me. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll leave it that at was, that. That was suspicious timing for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa, thank you so, so much uh, for covering at the end there. That was great. And uh, I'll say goodbye to you. And then I'll, we'll talk about next week's show. Thank you again. Thank Bye -bye. you. My pleasure. All right. So next week, um, we have already had uh, this conversation started probably in June at our conference. We started talking about the financial um, condition of the market. Uh, I, I think just about everybody knows that we've got some real distress going on in the market. Fed chairman actually mentioned it in some comments a week or so ago, specifically pointing out uh, the debt issues within the commercial real estate industry. And so, you know, our, our topic of technology innovation is directly related to, um, to the health of our industry. And, and we call it innovation mode versus maintenance mode. And we're all um, you know, keeping a close eye on the, the condition of the market to make sure that if we do have to, to see ourselves go into more of a maintenance mode, that we're ready for it and that we can continue to innovate despite uh, a tightening budget belt. Uh, we got a great speaker uh, panelist next week coming to us from TREP. Uh, they've got the data on the market. This is going to be a no-nonce conversation. They're going to lay it out, how much debt distress, you know, what are, where's utilization, how are we looking? And hopefully will help us get to the bottom of this story by the conference as well, because by June, I think we might be seeing uh, a little bit more pressure in this market. So with that, thank you all. You have a great day. It's been a pleasure. And I will see you next week on Realcom Live. Be well.